Hey, this is Nathan Jenkins from Loon Mountain Ministry, and I want to thank you for checking out our podcast today. We welcome you to join us, the trees, the rocks, and all of creation as we worship our great God. Enjoy the message. Okay, so we're in the book of Ecclesiastes, and um, it is it is um, it's debated among theologians and historians, but it's pretty plain for me to see if you know the scriptures, uh, if you know the story of the scriptures, I think that's King Solomon, right? There's really no other richer king in Israel than King Solomon. And uh, so I'm, I'm going to go off. It's King Solomon, and we're going to talk about King Solomon today. Uh, king Solomon uh, was the king of Israel after David. And uh, you are pretty familiar with David because he wrote the book of Psalms, or most of it. And uh, he was probably the most famous king of Israel. But right after him was his son, Solomon. Now, Solomon was born to a woman named Bathsheba. And Bathsheba has quite the story, right, where it starts where King David was lazy, right? It says when the kings go out to war, David stayed home. Then King David was Googling at night. And he shouldn't have been doing that. He was up on his roof and he was Googling with his eyes. Bathsheba was doing probably what she should be doing, and that's taking a bath on her roof. Don't sunbathe on your roof or out back, okay? Just for the vitamin D, right? So vitamin David. Um, and so David then sees Bathsheba, has feelings for her, strong feelings for her. When the king summons you, you go. They uh, they had an affair, and to cover it up, because she got pregnant, to cover it up, uh, King David actually ended up committing murder and killed her husband, Uriah. So in one weekend, David was lazy. He Googled. He looked at pornography. He committed adultery. He committed murder. That was a pretty rough weekend. You know? He repented, and the Lord forgave him. Not to say that anything of that's okay. It went on to really wreck havoc in his life. But she came and married into the, the kingly realm. And from uh, Bathsheba, a couple of years later, came a baby boy named Solomon. When David now has died, if you turn to 1 Kings, this is where Solomon's kingship kind of begins, King David is passing away. And what's interesting is Abishai has a part in this story. Abishai came and took care of King David when he was, when he was dying, and then Solomon ended up actually marrying uh, Abishai, which is kind of cool. And so she, you know... Sounds weird to keep saying that, right? But anyway. Um, so now Solomon is king of Israel. Now, I want to back up. When the Bible was put together, there's a there's in the beginning um, this thing called the Pentateuch, and that's the five for the first five books of the Bible. So it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy chapter 17, there is a clear decree. From God, a very clear decree from God to Israel. And he says this, when you get to the promised land, if you end up falling to temptation and wanting to be like your neighbors who have a king, here's what you must do when you have a king. The king should, number one, not marry foreign women as he will be led astray to worship foreign gods. Number one. Number two, the king should not, the king should not acquire and accumulate and store lots of silver and gold. Leads always to bad things. 
And number three, there's only three. And number three, you should not go to Egypt to get horses. You came out of Egypt, you should not go back down there. Now, I want you to write them on a scroll, and I want the king to keep them on his person, on the scroll, scroll on his person. And I want the king to read these daily because the heart of humans cannot be trusted. That's what it says in, in Deuteronomy 17. Now, this is what I find fascinating. David dies. Saul becomes, I mean Saul, Solomon becomes king. Solomon is king and he's nervous. He's young. He's nervous. So one of the first things he does is like, Lord, what should I do? My brother's coming and my brother's going to try to take over the kingdom. Do I kill him? Do I not? What do I do? And the Lord said, you can, you can remove your brother because this is not going to be good. So he removed his brother. This is some big stuff he's asking God. So he removes his brother, right, who's trying to take over the kingdom and create a rebellion. Not good stuff, right? Solomon gets through that test. He's still freaking out. There's an there's a evil man who's in charge of his armies and has committed some really bad sins. What should I do, God? God says, remove him. So now he removes uh, Joab, who is the head of the army. So now he's, he's followed God in two obediences that are really hard to do. These are really hard to do because you're not really sure. Am I going to win the popular vote? Is everyone going to get mad at me? Is people going to think that I'm a dictator? I'm following God. This is what he's telling me to do. But he's still young. And so Solomon goes into the temple, right? And he says, Lord, I need you. I need you to guide me, please. At night, he falls asleep. And he has a dream. And God comes to him in this dream. Like a genie. It's actually exactly like a genie. And says, Solomon, what would you wish of me? And Solomon thought and thought and very mature, very smartly says, Lord, I need wisdom. I need wisdom to guide this country. I need wisdom to do what my dad did. I need wisdom. God said, that is an incredible ask. I will grant you that. I'm so thankful you asked. And because you didn't ask for riches, and you didn't ask to take over your enemies, and you didn't ask for fame, I will also give you that. And then Solomon woke up from his dream. And then Solomon went on to become one of the wealthiest, richest, wisest kings who ever lived. Right after the dream, the first story we see is him sitting on a judgment seat, right? Where people come in and he leads the court of the people, right? Someone who we would say would be very smart, you know, really, really smart Supreme Court, you know, judge. And these two women come in. And they're fighting over a baby. And one mom says, that's my son. And another one says, no, that's my son. And they're fighting. They bring it to court. And Solomon, in his wisdom, and you've probably heard this story before. It's a pretty incredible story. Has these two women fighting over this child, this baby, this infant. And Solomon says something that is completely outlandish. I can only imagine the people in the court were like, he's lost his marbles. Because he says, all right, I have a decree. And so the women are getting ready. They're going to see who's going to get this child, right? Solomon knows one's not the mother, one is, but he can't tell because they're super both going at it. And Solomon says, I got it. Take that sword. Cut the kid in half. Give half to this lady and half to that lady. And what happened? The real mom said, no, 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 she can have, she can have the boy. She, she, she can have the boy. And right there, Solomon said, that's the mom. Give, give the baby to her. And the people in the, in, the, in the court were like, 
Whoa. That is wisdom. That's the first story. So he's off to a good start. The next story, not so good. What's the first thing he does? Goes to Egypt. Apparently he didn't have this piece of paper on him. He's the king of Israel. He's supposed to have Deuteronomy chapter 17 on his person. And every day he's supposed to go, all right, don't marry foreign women, okay? Do not get a lot and accumulate and, and store up mass wealth, okay? Do not go to Egypt and get their horses. We came out of there once. We're not going back there again. First thing he does. Ooh. I like the king of Egypt's daughter. She's pretty. He goes to Egypt and bring home the king's daughter and marries Pharaoh's daughter. This is the guy who's just been granted all the wisdom in the world from God. If you think, people, your intellect will keep you from sin, you are wrong. We in America think we can outwit sin. We think that we can, by our bootstraps and by our wit, we can do it. Because Americans can do anything. This is the land of opportunity. You want to go from billionaire to bum, you can do it in America. We take that into our spiritual life. Sorry, you can do that in America too. You want to go from bum to billionaire, you can go either way in America. It is open to all. It's a two-way road. I love my little mess up there. Yes, you can go from bum to billionaire in America. We see it. There's a lot of cool stories about it. And you can go from billionaire to bum. And there's a lot of stories about that as well. But guys, if you and I think that our wit and our intellect and our money and our squeaky clean American life will keep us from sin, you have not read the Bible. It is very clear in Scripture that the human heart, it says, is evil and wicked above all else. Deceitful. And we see it right here. Solomon was granted wisdom from God. And then in the second story after his wisdom, he goes to Egypt and gets a foreign wife. And you know what? He wasn't satisfied with one foreign wife. You know how many foreign wives the Bible tells us old Solomon had? Not one, not two, not three, not six, 700. He married 700 women and had 300 concubines. <laughs> Jim's like, Jim's like, wow. So he didn't really obviously read that scroll every day. Then what's the next thing he did? What's the next thing? He began to accumulate wealth like no one else has ever accumulated. It's estimated that he accumulated 30,000 pounds of gold a year during his 40-year reign of Israel. You guys ready for this with, with his wealth? With his wealth? That puts Solomon 11 times more wealthy than Jeff Be Bezos right now, who's the owner of Amazon. 11 times more wealthy. And it puts him 15 times wealthier than Bill Gates is currently right now. Solomon was estimated by, by uh, people who study economies, was estimated worth $2 trillion is what they believe he was worth. And what's crazy, if you look up the world, the the richest people ever who lived, he's like number five or four, right? Which is crazy. That's kind of interesting, right? So that's his wealth. We'll, we'll get there in just a minute. When you read this passage, 
and Ecclesiastes, it's pretty crazy. Solomon was looking for contentment. Solomon was looking for happiness. And if someone had the power to go find it, it was someone who was worth $2 trillion. Right? And so he went out. And what the first thing he said, he goes, I went out for pleasure and I tried to figure this out. I went out and bought myself the best wine money could buy. You know what the most expensive bottle of wine in history has been? It's called the Screaming Eagle. It's a Cabernet. Went for $500,000. Half a million dollars for a bottle of wine. That's the most expensive bottle of wine. We'll get back to wine and we'll get back to wealth in a minute. Because we kind of like look down our noses at those in the church. You know one though that we say is okay in the church? Work. You're championed if you're a workaholic in the church. You're cheered on. You're doing good. You're doing it right. Did Solomon find meaning in his work under the sun? No. We can look at him and say, yeah, you shouldn't drink wine that much. That's not, yeah. You shouldn't have 700 women. That's just, that's not good. That's gross, right? But, oh, you built parks. You built churches. You built buildings. I bet you there was a lot of, like, do-writers in his time that cheered him on for that. So I looked up a little bit about work. A little bit about work. We Americans take great pride in what we've done. Right? Remember Tom Hanks on the island? Oh, I have made fire! <laughs> I have made fire! We do this all the time, Americans. Oh, I have been promoted! <laughs> I have made six figures! <laughs> I got a new car! I got a new car! I built a house! Look at my... I built a business! I built a family! We in America love to get credit. For what we work and build. But show me an individual who has sold themselves to their career. And I'll show you someone who's miserable. Show me someone who has sold themselves to progress, to success. And I'll show you somebody miserable. We all know it. You all see it. But yet we all, I'm guilty of it, man. I love to build things. I am a starter. You all know this, right? And I have to be careful. It's a gift God's given me, and it might be a gift God's given you. But you must be careful with it. That, those are the kind of things that really trip us up in the American church, is the ones that sneak under the radar, right? Workaholic, that's okay in the church. Overeating, okay in the church. Women and wine, not so much okay in the church. We love to point our fingers at them all the while while we're having another helping at the potluck. And we're staying later and later at church and abandoning our family. We love to point at what someone else is doing to justify our own position. And Solomon is leaving no rock unturned. He was looking for happiness. He was looking for pleasure. And there is not one thing in the book of Ecclesiastes that someone here, someone on the internet, someone cannot relate with and say, ooh, I have tried that and did not find meaning. Whether it is you moms, 
trying to find meaning in raising your children, and then one day they leave and you don't know what to do? Or is it you, a career-driven individual, right, who tries to find meaning in building up a business, but then one day you find out the business doesn't love you and it creates incredible depression? The business doesn't love you. Marcus, the ministry doesn't love you. That's a really hard thing for me to hear. It's a really hard thing for me to hear. I was reading a book about a, um, a pastor and his wife who had retired after 30 years of being a pastor in one church. That's awesome. That's incredible. She sunk into deep, deep depression after retirement. Almost suicidal. And in this book, this guy was being really honest. And he said, here's the deal. My wife and I found fulfillment and found our identity, found our self-worth in being the pastor of people. And when she found out she was no longer the pastor's wife, she no longer had those relationships. She no longer had that title. She didn't have that. And she, all of a sudden, because she, she put all of her hope in that, she had nothing. She had nothing. And for 30 years, that church celebrated her. Showing up early, staying late, working to the bone to be the best pastor's wife you could ever dream of. And everyone loved it in that church. And then one day they retired and they had an awesome party. And it was like, you were the greatest 30 years. Woo-hoo! And then they walked out that door. And the ministry church door shut behind them. Poof. And she was no longer the pastor's wife. And then it was done. And she found out that the church doesn't actually love her. Guys, the church didn't go to the cross for Marcus. Heidi didn't go to the cross for Marcus. Your wealth didn't go to the cross. Your children didn't go to the cross. There is only one love that surpasses all love, and that is God through his son, Jesus Christ. And if you're looking for redemption, if you're looking for love, if you're looking for fulfillment, if you're longing to be something that you don't have, you can squeeze every mortal thing. You can squeeze everything on earth all you want, but you're not going to find the love that Jesus offers through the fact that he gave his life for you and for me. Not going to find it. And if you don't believe me, because I'm just a pastor in Western, I'm not in Western Maine. Whoops. I went to high school in Western Maine. I'm just a pastor in central New Hampshire, right, of a tiny little church. I'm not rich. I haven't traveled the globe. I don't have a doctorate in anything, right? So if you don't believe me, believe this dude. He was worth $2 trillion, 15 times more Bill Gates. He has done everything under the sun and found that it was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. That's why we look in God's word, because it is much wiser than me. It's much deeper and richer than me. Why don't I unpack it here? I don't even know if we can get into wealth, right? We might save that for next week. No, next week's Easter. We'll save it for the week after. There's a lot in here on wealth. There's a lot in here on wealth. And if you're sitting in this room right now, if you're watching on here and you live in America, you are part of the 5% wealthiest people in the world. Let me say that again. Let that sink in. It does not matter what you make. 
If you are sitting in this room, and if you are sitting at your home in America right now, you are part of the 5% wealthiest in the world. Me, me, Marcus. Why? Because the average daily wage, daily, the average daily wage in the globe right now is $2. Two American dollars. Your children's allowance makes them the wealthiest in the world. So if you think that you can escape this wealth sermon in two weeks, you're wrong. Because we're wealthy. I know where my meal's coming from after this service. I know where I'm going to lay my head tonight. Now, I know that there's homelessness in America. I know that there are people that are hurting for food in America. But there is access to things that when you travel the globe and you get to some countries, there ain't no access. Medical? There, we've been in parts of the globe that I'm like, oh man, if you get hurt right now, you're, you're, you're just, you're done. We are wealthy. And Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastes, is speaking right to us in America. Because we're distracted by these things and searching for meaning in them. Careers, our relationships, our children, our wealth, our health. I'll tell you what, we've got a lot of faith, we've got a lot of hope, we've got a lot of stock in our health and in our wealth. And right now during the pandemic, both of those things are being hammered on hard. And we are freaking out. Because our health is totally question marked. And our wealth, our economy right now is like, we're not really sure. How is this bad boy going to come back around? And Solomon's speaking right to us. And I hope the Holy Spirit is speaking to me and to you by saying, hey, there's only one thing. In Revelation, Jesus says to one of the churches, wake up. He says to one of the churches, wake up and strengthen the thing that remains. Let me say that again. In Revelations, Jesus says to one of the churches, wake up and strengthen the thing that remains. Your health doesn't remain. Marcus's health doesn't remain. Your wealth doesn't remain. My wealth doesn't remain. You know why my wealth doesn't remain? Because when my family first came over here from England, our, our name was spelled C-O-R-Y. There was no E in it. We were English and we were loyalists and we were stinking rich in Boston. Where are those wealths now? Where did they go? <laughs> we were loyal. It's called the Revolutionary War. We fled to Canada because the Redcoats didn't win. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And they fled to Canada. Then what happened? The Louisiana Purchase happened, and Canada became Maine. Oh, Mainer. And we were poor potato farmers. I started a loyalist in Boston, and boy, were we rich because we came over from England, and we were tight with the queen and the king, and we were awesome. Your wealth does not remain. Your health does not remain. Your children do not remain. Your church does not remain. It does not, your house does not remain. Your relationships do not remain. All beautiful things. But Jesus says, wake up and strengthen what remains. And the only thing that remains is a relationship with Jesus. 
There's a relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. That is eternal. And Solomon's pointing his finger right at it. And he's done everything under the sun and didn't find anything that remained except for Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. Lord, uh, we are easily distracted by things that do not remain. Good things. Good things. But we put our faith and hope in things that do not remain. Thank you for Ecclesiastes. That it's going right after what we put our faith, hope, and love in. And it's hitting us with the truth. And it's hitting me with the truth. Lord, I ask by the power of the Holy Spirit that I will continue to live with an open hand with the ministry. Live with an open hand with, with the ministry's resources. With our health, with our wealth, with our children, with our opportunity that we live with an open hand. None of it's ours. All of it's gift. None of it's giver. All of it's gift. None of it's giver. You are the giver. Help us to fall in love with you and not fall in love with the gift. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We here at Loon Mountain Ministry are committed to loving God, serving community, and enjoying mountains. We want to thank you for being a part of our collective high five this week as we seek to be a light in the White Mountains and all around the world. Please feel free to reach out to us at info at loonmtnministry.com so we can get more connected. See you guys.